Hello there, Canada and the rest of the world, and welcome once again to the Netflix Podcast, the show where we review the movies available to stream on Netflix in Canada. I'm your host, Dylan Clark Moore, and today we're going to be talking about 2015's Legend. Today's episode of the Netflix Podcast is brought to you in part by Springboard, London, Ontario's premier digital creative industries development program. Visit joinspringboard.com for more information. This podcast is also a proud member of the Electric Streams Podcast Network. For more insights into streaming media like Netflix, Amazon, and HBO original series, subscribe to Electric Streams Media on your podcast platform of choice. Before we get into things, I'd like to issue a couple of warnings. First of all, a content warning for this discussion as the movie and our conversation about it deals with the topic of suicide. If you find yourself in need of support surrounding the subject of suicide, please check the episode's show notes for resources and crisis center contact information, namely suicideprevention.ca for Canadians and suicidology.com for our American listeners. Next up, I want to also give a heads up that even though we barely discuss it, uh, this movie does get a content warning as well. Very briefly, we talk about a sexual assault that happens in it. Uh, Third of all, much less serious, some of the language in this episode may not be suitable for all listeners. Now that that's out of the way, let's get into it. shit look who's back oh i want to offer an enormous homecoming welcome to caroline Deason. thank you dylan caroline it's been a long time since i've been able to ask you this question because you've been off gallivanting in france but the question i've been dying to ask you is is there anything interesting you have been watching on netflix recently so uh i figured out when i moved to france that my netflix account will sign in to French Netflix. Oh, yeah, will. So I have access to different things that we don't have in Canada. Just like weird shit. That's right. And which is the whole point to this podcast is that it was quite limited when we started Netflix. And it's still pretty limited, but there's things on, on French Netflix that we don't have here. Um, but because a lot of it's in French with subtitles or dubs, and just because I'm obsessed with watching McElroy content over and over again online, I haven't been watching a whole lot. Uh, on Netflix, but one of the things that I I was really excited to watch was French stand-up specials like they have, you know, Netflix here, specifically from a stand-up comedian called uh, Gad Elmaleh, who is a Moroccan-French stand-up who I'd heard of before. Um, He actually is called, like, the French Jerry Seinfeld, and if you've ever seen Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee, he's on... He's, he's got an episode of Jerry on that. Oh, cool. Yeah, and they like talk about how he's the French yeah. Jerry Seinfeld and stuff. The so. series that just got picked up, by, or I guess it's been in the works for a while, but it got picked up by Netflix. So oh, did it? So we're going to be able okay. to see it now. Yeah. Perfect, because it was on some one of those other uh, streaming things. Amazon or some shit, Hulu, maybe? Right, Hulu, that's it, I think, yeah. Yeah, so that's coming to Netflix, and that's why we got the Jerry comedy, the Jerry Seinfeld comedy special oh, not too long ago. Anyway, yeah, that's what I've been watching. What have you been watching on Netflix? What have I been watching? Are you excited for Grace and Frankie? 
a new season of Grace and Frankie in a few weeks. Yeah, that keeps, like, it always sneaks up on me. Well, it, this is the earliest they've ever done it. They usually do it around May. I'm very excited. Yeah, me too. Um, What have I watched? I watched Goosebumps not too long ago. That was better than I expected it to be. Wait, is there a movie? Yeah, the movie with Jack, oh. Jack Black as Stein. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Yeah, don't go in with high expectations, but, okay. like, it's better than it has any right to be. Largely because the kid who's... I, s- I could have sworn it was the kid from Percy Jackson, but it's not him. Like, the, the kid they got in the lead is really good. Like, oh, he's really good. entertaining. I also watched Bright, that Did movie you? that, like, Netflix is promoting the hell out of and right. everybody has an opinion about. By Trigger Warning Productions. Yeah. Yeah. How did that go? How was that? Um, you didn't live tweet it? I thought you had to live. T- I thought, like, contractually, <laughs> as a human being, you had to live tweet watching um, Bright. I went in with very low expectations because I had seen the reactions online and I'd seen, you know, think pieces about how this is the worst thing that Netflix has ever put out. Right. I think it's a cool concept, like having fantasy creatures in the modern world. And I think like, like they've already announced a sequel Interesting. and I hope somebody else writes it because the <laughs> the idea is good. Yeah. It's a, it's a bit of a slog to get through, but like, it's not Will Smith's fault. It's not Joel Edgerton's fault who like does a really good job of acting through a whole lot of prosthetics but it's it's not as as clever as it wants to be, right? And then towards the end, it's just like it's a drag by the end. But I'm not mad that I watched it in the same way that a lot of people were, right? But that's enough about our Netflix viewing habits. Except for the movie that we're here to talk about <laughs> this episode, the movie we're going to be talking about is from the year 2015 from director Brian Helgeland. Helgeland? Sorry, Brian. Hey, Helgeland. Hey. Hey girl land Hedgeland Hedgeland We're going to be talking about Legend No Hedgeland Hedgeland <laughs> The hedge over the hedge <laughs> yes, <laughs> Bruce are... Willis plays a squirrel I think Alright let's take a look at how Netflix describes this movie It says Identical twins and notorious gangsters Reggie and Ronnie Cray elude the authorities In 1960s London while transfixing And terrifying the public How do you feel about that one? That's fine, that's actually really good Serviceable Yes Well done Yeah. For Netflix once. description writer The movie's also described as gritty and violent Now that's just true Obviously Right on Hey guess what? The very first time I watched this, according to my letterbox, I just pulled it up, was December 30th, 2016. Holy shit. It's been Holy almost shit. a year. This is crazy. Yeah. We're off by two days. Uh, no, we pulled back the curtain too far. People know the <laughs> recording schedule. No. Uh, so, Caroline. So, Dylan. Why did you want to talk about Legend? Now, this is 2015's Legend, not the Tom Cruise fantasy movie where Tim Curry, I believe, stars as the devil right, as well yeah. and that's who's, a shame. who's your big crush that's in that movie as well from oh shit i don't know uh we did talk about this though yeah because from... I, I haven't actually seen the movie <laughs> so when when i looked it up i was like what but now i don't remember from uh not dustin checks in what's the other <laughs> dustin checks in good lord peewee's big holiday no fuck what's it called somebody's ferris bueller's day off there we go oh sloan peterson yes. yeah the girl who plays sloan peterson yeah yeah yeah, yeah. mia sarah there you she go. She plays Lily. Yes. Yes. Who I've never seen in anything else except for <laughs> in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Right. 
So that's the movie that we're not talking about. So no. why why did you want to bring Legend to the table? I thought you were going to say, so why are you listening? Why? L- why listen, are you listener, here? Listener, why are you here? <laughs> no, I'll, 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 I'll put the 2015 in brackets in the title just so... <laughs> just so they don't get really excited about... <laughs> Got to bait those clicks. Yeah. Three in that makeup. <laughs> um, okay, so to uh, pull back the curtain, um, we... Twice before we have planned to record on a movie that, and both times I've had to cancel for various reasons. To test my patience. Yes, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. fine. <laughs> um, and uh, they've both been crime crime movies, so crime gangster movies. So one was going to be The Departed and the other one was going to be The Trust, um, which I, I mean, I'd still love to talk about The Trust at some point. Um, but uh, <laughs> For our spinoff where we only talk about the where Nick we Cage only, movies yes, that are so on Netflix. <laughs> our new podcast idea is to only talk <laughs> about the Nicolas Cage movies on Netflix, which I'm very serious about and <laughs> would, would still like to pursue. Anyway, um, so I guess it's not that I picked Legend because of that, but I, I really like gangster movies. Uh, I'm a big fan of, you know, like Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels and Snatch, the Guy Ritchie English gangster movies. I'm a big fan, as you know, of... Um, the Godfather, um, Godfather Part Two, uh, <laughs> end of sentence. <laughs> I actually I haven't seen Part Three, but um, anyway, yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of these types of movies, and Tom Hardy is a total babe. So yeah, I keep until I'm watching Tom Hardy, I forget how attractive Tom Hardy is. How beautiful is. he is, yeah. Because I'll see him in pictures and like on you know on Twitter of people like gushing over him, and yeah. I'll be like. Oh yeah, but yeah. then you see him move. Right, it is his movement. It's he's got this like grace almost. Do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. it's this like, yeah, he just the way he moves and the way he the way his face moves <laughs> and his lips. Those pillowy, pillowy lips. Pillowy lips. That's a very I good swear they're made of velvet. They like, are. It's ridiculous. They're so beautiful. <laughs> he's a beautiful, beautiful man, and you get to see two of him in this movie. It's you true. You get to see him twice. It's hardy enough. No, that's fucking terrible. That's very bad. Boo! <laughs> You're keeping all of this in, by the way. I'll keep the pillowy lips. Uh, <laughs> You're keeping that in, too. So, I mean, I was a little... I wasn't sure at first. Um, because I know sometimes that there's a temptation when one is picking a movie to talk about in a podcast to just pick, like ooh, I like this movie. And that doesn't necessarily mean that there's going to be a lot to talk about. Right. And I was worried about that, actually, when I picked movie, this yeah. movie. But, I mean, I don't feel that that was the case. Like, I, I went in expecting, like, a very stylish Guy Ritchie sort of thing. And, I mean, I haven't seen a classic Guy Ritchie movie in a while to be dismissing it offhand. So, like, I... I have I, you seen Rock and Rolla, by the way? I Speaking haven't, of Tom no. Hardy and Guy Ritchie. No, I haven't. So, Tom, Tom Hardy is in one of Guy Ritchie's... English gangster movies, rock and rolla. Um, it good? Yeah, it's it's and well, we'll get to it, I'm sure, but we'll I'll I'll talk about it a bit later too because there's some similarities between his roles. Yeah, in both. Yeah. So I mean, there's yeah, I mean, there's definitely some stuff to talk about. For sure, it's a meaty. It's a meaty. Uh, so the, what I really like about this movie, uh, it's a meaty story, and it's a meaty story because it's a true story about some really fucked up people, but it's also done in a stylistically, as you were saying, beautiful way. Mm-hmm. And it's also done in a narratively interesting way because of who is narrating the movie, who is Francis. Francis, played by Emily Browning. Had you ever heard of The Craze before? So the only time I'd heard about them is on the Big Fat Quiz of the Year. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And I'm pretty sure that I went and looked up. It was probably the Big Fat Quiz of last year or the year before, whatever. And I looked up who The Craze were because it was, you know, a joke on, on the show. Um, and I found that this movie existed, and then I found that it was on Netflix, and I was like, yeah, I'll watch that. 
mm-hmm. and then then I learned all about these crazy craze. Yeah, and I found out today that that's actually not the only movie about the craze on Netflix. There's also a documentary called The Craze: The Myth Behind the Legend, which is a, a documentary where they talk or where they talk to quote rivals and other contemporaries discuss Ronnie and Reggie Cray, the notoriously violent gangsters who ran London's East End in the 1950s and 60s. Nice. So I'm I think I'm gonna check that out. Yeah, I'd like to check that out too because I don't actually know anything about them outside of this movie. But right. while I was just kind of doing some research before coming to record this, I read someone's you know, uh, a, a film critic's review saying something about as a biopic, this is this is a deeply flawed movie. Okay. But as a vehicle for Tom Hardy, it approaches its title. <laughs> so outside of being, you know, a, a, that's that's too clever by half. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but outside of being like a Hollywood true story. Yeah. It's a fun movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also just looked up on Letterboxd to see what I gave this movie actually, and we'll talk about this <laughs> okay. later. Um, but I think that I remembered. When when we were talking about you know doing it, I think that I remembered it more fondly than I than my immediate reaction to it, if that makes sense. And part of that is probably because you know there's there's a really intense part in this movie that I did not see coming whatsoever, that I did not uh, get any warning for. We've talked about in the past trigger warnings and um, you know how they can completely blindside you. Yeah, and, are and you talking about the the sexual assault or yeah. the suicide? <laughs> Because they're both in there. Yes, both. You're right. I'm talking specifically about the sexual assault. The suicide is really interesting, though, because I remember gasping out loud the first time because the narrator (laughs) is narrating this from beyond the grave. Um, And you don't find out until, you know, she talks about her suicide. So, yeah, yeah, that's it. That's what I that's kind of what I was talking about when I mean the the interesting narrative arc to this movie and how reliable Francis is as a narrator. Because right. she is an omniscient narrator, and when we find out that she's dead, that maybe helps us right. understand her omniscience. But on the other hand, how trustworthy is she? Obviously, she's she's very invested in what's going on. You know how much how much of this is through Francis's at first rose colored glasses, right? And then yeah, her her beloved Reggie. Yeah, maybe it just hasn't sat long enough for me to have given that too much thought because she actually addresses her own narration at one point which is to me it seemed like a low point of the movie oh really oh where she's just kind of like oh i bet you thought that i was going to turn out okay because i'm the one telling you i love that part oh you loved it yeah i loved it i love that breaking the fourth wall you didn't like it it just it didn't like i i was fine living in this world where this woman was narrating it and she could have kept on doing it without ever really addressing the fact that she was narrating it while also dying. Like, they could have just stopped having her do the narration at that point. Hmm. I like the fact that they did that because Francis goes through a lot. Like, it really sucks mm-hmm. what happens to Francis. And I think by saying that, it almost kind of calls out our feeling that, oh, well, but she must be fine in the end because she's still talking, right? Mm-hmm. Even if even if she did kill herself and then we never heard from her again, that wouldn't, that doesn't give us the same confrontation that, oh, you probably thought I was fine, which to me is the same thing as like, oh, you probably thought it's not actually a big deal. You know what I mean? Like she, the abuse that she's going through or whatever, she must actually love him and then, you know, it's fine, whatever. Yeah. So this kind of confrontation of, oh, I bet you thought, I bet you wrote it off as being fine because I was talking to you actually fake out i'm dead and yeah. i killed myself i was really surprised about the the suicide when mm-hmm. it happened i mean in in retrospect i'm not so much but i really thought she was maybe going to attempt again but not yeah not actually follow through yeah i was very surprised by that i was very surprised and very affected by that yeah <laughs> as well because 
I mean, immediately preceding that is the like triumphant scene, not triumphant because it's immediately following a rape. That's a very tough like 15 minutes for her. Yeah. So that that whole scene is really, really difficult. Yeah. So she's at, what is it? She's at home and then Reggie comes home drunk and then like starts attacking her. And then it's implied that he rapes her. And then we see her leaving and she has that almost heartwarming sort of conversation with Ron. With Ron, yeah. Uh, as she makes her way to the car. And in terms of like a narrative, that's fulfilling the part where like where she gets away. And then you expect Reggie to have some kind of like undoing where he falls apart because the one thing that's held his life together is no longer there. And you expect her to be gone and you expect her to be safe and okay. And then Reggie's tenacity that we've admired so much until then, like he just hunts her down immediately. Yeah. And like you don't want her to show back up on the screen. And then she does. Yeah. And then for her in that moment, she realizes that there's nowhere that she can go, that she has access to, to be able to get away from this guy. And so at that moment, she feels like the only way that she has to get out is through suicide. So did you did you think that she was going to join him? In Ibiza, when no, I well, um, I was worried that she was going to right, and then I didn't feel any better when she didn't right <laughs> because of, course, of the of way course. that she did yeah, um, and this actually has a lot of parallels to Christine in that this movie has this weird sort of responsibility to try to tell a story that involves suicide, which is based on a true story, like Reggie's actual wife did die by suicide although there is uh some speculation that ron actually killed her oh out of like a yikes jealousy or or whatever the case may be well so that's a theory that somebody was pushing who was involved in the situation but i don't i don't want to give too much credence to that but i mean her official cause of death is suicide and so like they have to do it um but i mean especially after talking about it at such length with christine i just felt so I like, like not personally attacked, but just like, no, like you, you just told me she was going to be safe. Like she just got away. Mm. And then like Reggie drags her back in and shows that like, there's no way that she can get away. Yeah. And then, I mean the most, and sorry, I'll let you talk at no, some no, point. Okay. I mean, another like really upsetting part is when he goes and visits her at the funeral home. Um, oh, when, yeah. when she's being prepared and he goes down and, She's made it abundantly clear that like the best thing for her is to be away from him. And then even in death, she's laying there cold on like the preparation slab. Like it's just her body left and he still like puts her wedding rings back on and still like claims her and like does whatever he wants with her body, even though she's done everything she can to try to tell him like that's the last thing I want. I need to be away from you. Yeah. So even in death, she's not escaping this guy. Yeah. It's also really hard to watch hit her mother at the funeral. Yeah. Um, that scene was really hard to watch, too. Everything with the mother. The mother is yeah. fucking amazing yeah, in this movie. This, like, yeah. fearless, badass mother who just wants nothing to do with these gangsters for her daughter. Yeah. And her son. Both of them are involved. Like, the reason that he meets her yeah. is because of her brother working for him. And then, yeah, the brother, the way that he reacts when Reggie comes to find Francis. Too. Yeah. Like, it's just... It's a, it's a very... I totally get what you're saying. Um, and I do think I there is definitely something to say about a responsibility that uh, a film has about the way that it's portraying suicide. But I actually thought that the way that she breaks the fourth wall 
and forces you to confront that as in forces you to say i bet you thought everything was going to be okay because i was talking to you well guess what no yeah. you know like it doesn't it doesn't work out that way um and you need to you need to think about that i was thinking about this so yesterday was my annual lord of the rings marathon oh, okay that we've talked about on the podcast that we did uh for the two towers when i say annual we haven't done it in a few years and we actually were talking about how great it is that we haven't done it in a few years because uh everything is a lot more fresh than it has been you know we're making the same jokes every year basically but i found that last night or yesterday we were making new jokes and a few of the jokes had to do with the fact that when i first watched lord of the rings with my dad my dad is a huge like he is just the most soft-hearted guy in the world right he doesn't come across as it at all but he is a huge softie and when people die in movies my dad and in books and everything else you know my dad gets really affected by it and uh like i remember he was reading this is you know maybe the last book that he ever read to my brother and i out loud was um harry potter the the fourth one okay where when cedric dies i remember my dad being like what like <laughs> like like <laughs> like like being very like questioning the book what did i just read he was very upset um but anyway so i was remembering that yesterday because there's a couple characters that die in the lord of the rings and the fellowship and two towers that when they die my dad you know would gasp and be like no no that's awful <laughs> um including our very handsome elf friend that we talked about in the two towers who um you know brings the elves to helm's deep to relieve them and then and gets killed at helm's deep and when that guy got when he got beamed in the head with a an axe my dad was really upset Anyway, the reason that I'm saying this is that I was I was thinking about that for the first time yesterday where, you know, my dad is not sheltered, right? Like he he knows that these types of like death obviously happens in the real world and you know, he's his favorite genre of movie is is, you know, war movies and these are real stories and you know, real death that's happening, but he still has this, you know, adorable innocence about being like, "Oh, I was invested in this character and I am now very sad about it." And that's I think to an extent, what I like so much about this fourth wall breaking, where if you weren't thinking of the narrator as being a character, even if she was, yeah, I mean, Francis is obviously a character, but if you were just kind of playing it off as this is the omniscient narrator, so obviously everything's going to be fine and she's not actually a character, this is when it's kind of shaking you and being like, no, 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 I'm not just a character in this. Sorry, I am a character in this, but I'm not just a throwaway do you know what i mean like this was actually my life and this was horrible right. <laughs> and the craze are the stars of the show and they are incredibly enigmatic and you know charismatic but they had real world consequences that outside of the rabble of idiots you saw them beat up do you know what i mean like yeah. this is this is maybe something that can actually affect you in the way that my dad is affected by those two singular deaths in each of those movies, but not by the, you know, hordes of people who die. Yeah, I, I think the the trajectory of the movie and the way that the movie changes tone gradually and it kind of mutates from, a, hey, this is like a very stylish gangster movie to, a, hey, by the way, these are people. Yeah. Um, like that's, that's part of what's so masterfully done in this movie because early on you're yeah. so entertained yes. by it. And you're like, fuck yeah, Tom Hardy and yeah. also Tom Hardy. <laughs> the first half of this movie is so much fun. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful so much to watch. Yeah. And I mean, like, it's it's like the like the fight in the bar is so great. And it's yeah. also between, like, two rival gangs. So there's, like, there's no innocent people caught in the crossfire. Yeah. Everybody's just being really fucking entertaining. Yeah. 
and uh like ron's dialogue is so funny even when it's not like super jokey yeah like when he like when he's sitting there and everybody's talking business and he just asks for an egg because he realizes (laughs) that he's eaten the egg he already had (laughs) yeah like i just i laugh for like a minute straight and then you get further on in the movie and you're like Oh, yeah, that's not always funny. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. This is real. Yeah. And so the way that it handles violence, the way that it handles crime in general, the way that it handles consequences, the way that it handles consequences. And I mean, this is all also tied up in the way that they treat Ron's mental health. Yes. In that it starts off that you're like, when you first meet him, you're like, oh, he's like fun. And like, this is great. And then you get further along and you realize that like there are actual... This consequences is, to this and this is yeah. not like a fun quirk this is like actual mental illness yeah. that he's struggling with and that you know has the potential to to blow up and affect the people around him definitely um i was just going to say before we move on to ron yeah. because i think that ron is a very you know probably yeah, the yeah. character we'll spend the most time on but um one of my i when i think back about this movie and, and going back to watch it for the second time i it was even more kind of bittersweet you know the the whole courtship of frankie and reggie and you know when he's climbing up the side of the literally climbing up the side of her house and things like that like all of that is so unbelievably sweet and i was so excited for this to be a movie where the husband and wife in this you know these gangster husband and wife actually have a fantastic relationship and they're both you know just as twisted as each other and they're both you know what i mean like they both support each other mutually and i'm not trying to say that francis didn't do what she was supposed to do because he fucking promised her that he was going to go straight right if he if he wanted to marry her he had to go straight and that was the promise he didn't do it i mean part of it was because his past caught up with him at the worst possible time but my my number one criticism of all of these kind of gangster crime movies is that the women are never able to be as flippant <laughs> with with the idea of you know humanity <laughs> in general and and as a result they they can't ever have as much fun as their husbands and they're always supposed to be the ones who are um you know trying to change their husbands and they're always the one who are bringing their husbands down and stuff like that right, right. it happens in the godfather it happens in goodfellas it happens over and over again and actually i was going to bring up too just before we move on to ron have you seen peaky blinders no i just saw they added the new season and brought back the original stuff wait is it on netflix it's on netflix (gasps) yeah it's up to season four in canada at least so watch it while you're here i will i will (laughs) um so peaky blinders i saw on american netflix and that similarly has a, a problem in it where you know there's there's women who marry into the mobster family hoping to change the mobster right right like that's just not gonna work obviously right like we know but peaky blinders also has a matriarch of the gang who is almost as dyed in the wool gangster as the men are which is a a a cooler trope to play with in that in that arena Mm -hmm. i think but i think it would be even more fun if someone like in this case if if a character like francis outside of the family, you know, outside of all of this, decided to marry into the family 100%, you know, into the family business type of thing. Right. And they could become this, like, just gruesome, twosome, yeah. amazing power couple. I mean, I think you kind of get that with Goodfellas in that she just, like, she knows the life she's getting into, but she realizes that she doesn't want to be a mob wife. 
Right. And that she hates like the the plastic people around her and like the the very basic conversations they keep having over and over again. But also in Goodfellas, like she's not as supportive of him continuing his life of crime right she's just mostly there for the coke (laughs) if i remember correctly (laughs) i'm not a huge fan of goodfellas to be completely frank me neither but yeah come at me mike grasso um although i do want to shout out to a couple of great examples of women at the head of organized crime that would be uh luke cage first season of luke cage as much as the season suffers for the loss of mahershala ali Spoiler alert. Um, and also, <laughs> what, season two, I think, of Justified, where character actress Margot Martindale is the, the main villain from the episode or from the season. Okay. I don't she's know really anything about her great. except for her in Bojack. And so I'm already on board because she's hilarious in Bojack. Yeah. No, she's amazing. No, she plays. Her whole a, name uh, is character actress Margot Yeah, character actress. <laughs> yeah, that's why I said it. <laughs> um, yeah, she plays the like matriarch of like a hillbilly gang. And oh, she, like, nice. Po- she like poisons people with apple pie moonshine. It's fucking amazing. I do want to take a minute to talk about Violet. And again, I guess comparing to Goodfellas, Violet being uh, Ronnie and Reggie's mom. Mm, and how if you compare it to like Martin Scorsese's mom in Goodfellas, where she's just like... Martin Scorsese's mom. Yeah, because his mom plays... Oh, I see. Okay. The, uh, <laughs> so in the scene where... I don't even remember what character it is. Fuck, I'm going to get like crucified for this. Um, but anyway, we're like, where she's like the mob mom who's just like blissfully unaware and she's like doting right. around the kitchen, just right. like making pasta and for everybody just, at like 11 yeah, o'clock at night. Doting on her sons yeah. and yeah. Exactly. And that's very much the trope that Violet seems to be playing with, Ronnie and Reggie's mom. For sure. Um, except when, when Ron's like done his bad murder and he goes and hides out at his mom's house and he's actually hiding from his brother. That's the vibe that you kind of get. Violet plays along. As just like, okay, I'm going to get everybody tea. I'm going to offer everybody some sweets. But then she like starts talking in this coded way to let Reggie know, like, you can't kill your brother. Right. Like, I know what you do. <laughs> like, I know that we're all doing this game where we pretend that I don't know what's going on. But like, he is blood and you can't, you can't kill him. Right. And I thought that was such a cool scene to just like give us this little peek behind the curtain of like, even though we're, you know, we're protecting the women in our lives, like let's give them some credit. Definitely. That, that you know, this, this mom is not as, as uh blissfully unaware as yeah, everybody wants to pretend that she is. She's pretending. Exactly. She yeah. Um, yeah. I really love those scenes with, uh, with their mother and sp- particularly the ones you're talking about where, um, <laughs> where Ron has basically moved back home. It's, yeah. It's very cute for all the wrong reasons. She's taking such good care of him when... And I love that she, like, invites... Uh, I forget the character's name. It's the the guy from Kingsman, Taron Egerton. Egerton? Yeah, Mad Teddy Smith. And when she, uh, when she like, tells Teddy, like, oh, and I assume you'll be spending the, spending the night as well, like, she's just, like, you know, she's woke to the yeah. fact that Ron's gay and, like, invites his boyfriend slash playmate over to spend the night with him and everything. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. Just, like... Just a cool woman. Yes, Just, especially in the 1960s, especially in like extremely working class England. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, so let's talk about Ron. Let's talk about Ron. So both of us went in not knowing anything about the craze. Yeah. And so were you surprised when you found out that Ron was was gay? Um, I felt like there was, I mean, there's a lot going on with Ron. I wasn't surprised to find out that he was gay but mainly just because from what I knew about the movie that it was like these are two drastically different characters mm. and watch Tom Hardy pull them both off yeah why did you was that a 
No, I'm just saying. That, like, that, that, that was a good eye roll. Yeah, that was okay. a good eye roll. Like, like how does he do this? Because, okay, like, Tom Hardy is such a, um, he's just an under-the-surface type of person. Do you know what I mean? Like, he, he's he's unassuming, and then he pulls off these amazing fucking performances. Yeah. But he doesn't, he doesn't upstage anybody, you know? Like, he doesn't, he's not narcissistic in his talent. He's He's extremely talented, but he doesn't. He doesn't grandstand about it. Do you know what I mean? I At least mean, he doesn't seem to. I mean, I, I don't hear great things behind the scenes about working with him. Are you like, talking about Charlize Theron? Yeah. And Okay, so I don't actually know any of their beef right. together. But actually, I was referring to him in um, in Mad Max because he, for him to play that role took a lot of checking his ego. Yeah. And I think that... In, in a large sense, playing this role as Ron took a lot of checking his ego. Ron is a fucking cool guy. And I love that Ron is so unapologetic about the fact that he's gay. Yeah. Um, especially in 1960s England. But uh, it's still, you know, not a not a super easy role to be playing. And then I was going to talk about Rock and Rolla, too. In Rock and Rolla, Tom Hardy plays, you know, kind of a two-bit criminal who's affiliated with this gang overall. And he also comes out as gay to his friend there. And, you know, rock and roll is from like 2007 or something like that. And I remember being like, what the fuck? Like, that's amazing. Yeah. That's so cool that is that he, happened. Is he gay in Inception too? I don't know. Actually, I've never seen the, Inception. Oh, you should see Inception. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they like flirts with Joseph, Joseph Gordon-Levitt toward the end. That's awesome. He, yeah. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. And he was actually asked in, in an interview and he got really upset about that. Uh, he was asked if he was bisexual in an interview and he got angry at the reporter about how that has nothing to do with the movie and, you know, that's mm-hmm. my private life and stuff. And I'm not saying that that necessarily means he is bisexual, but I think that that's an interesting thing for him to say. Like, I, I think that if he if he was homophobic, he probably would have been like, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> of course not, you know. Um, and I also know, too, just, you know, speaking anecdotally, my uncle on my mom's side was gay um, and lived in England during, you know, during these times and it w- it just was not something that you talked about in the yeah. same way that you do now yeah and so the fact that and and I, I think that's probably i mean british people are known to be pretty tight-lipped about most of their personal things right um so i think that's probably what tom hardy is you know getting out when he's asked point blank in a, yeah. an interview about that yeah. too i don't want to take any shine off the movie but i do believe and i think this was imdb trivia so take it with a grain of salt as i always say but uh the actual ron cray was like actually i'm bisexual and i didn't talk openly (laughs) about being gay because that's a good way to make yourself a target right so to find out that that's not like that that was something that really got played up right was a little like Oh, like that's a little disappointing. Right. So now you felt of... like you had to disappoint me by telling me this trivia that I otherwise wouldn't have known. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, I did. But whatever. We'll, we'll talk about the movie as a movie, as yeah. an art piece of art unto itself. Right. I just, I yeah, I just want to make sure that we are yeah, separating it from. For sure. Yeah. There's there's safety in, to, you know, revisional history of like in 2013, 2014, when they made the movie, as opposed to. Like the actual 1960s that Ron was living in. Sure, but Where, like um, it's a lot safer to play that character and say like, "Oh, isn't he so brave for doing it?" As right. opposed to, you know, actually doing that in the 60s. Of course, but as if Ron Cray wasn't a target for myriad reasons otherwise, <laughs> right? Fair like, enough. like if he was being asked that in 1995, just before he died or something, then 
you know, I could see him kind of being like, I didn't talk about it all that much, but yeah. And and he doesn't in the movie either. He just says it when he needs to shut someone up, right? When he goes to that God, that scene is so awful when they're talking to that smarmy, terrible American mafioso guy who's just played by this character actor who I've seen in other things. He only plays mafia people. Exactly. He only plays smarmy mafia guys. And he's he's so so good at it. Yeah, he is. And he just makes my skin crawl. (laughs) Yeah. And when, when Ron tells him that that's not, you know, he's only interested in boys. They go, we'll get you anything you want. You want old girls or young girls? Yeah. Gross. But I really, I really was endeared to Ron immediately. As soon as they had that conversation, Ron and Frankie had that conversation by Ron's like random trailer (laughs) in the forest. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, you go into you go into a movie like this knowing that the first half, like we said, is going to be fun and is going to be this is what's exciting about being a gangster and this is what's sexy about it and this is what's attractive. And then real life sets in, right? Yeah. I mean, you do. I mean, you talk about the the scene that he has with Frankie where he's just like he's sitting there in the cabin and. Is it's it, not a cabin. It's like or, a, it's yeah, like the, a yeah, truck. The trailer. Yeah, yeah, a trailer. Um, is it after his like boyfriend comes out that yeah. he talks about it? Yeah, right. And <laughs> I mean, maybe it was them trying to like comes pay- out of the trailer. We should say he like his boyfriend exits the trailer. Yes, it's obvious that he's been you know they they've spent the night together. Yeah, he like skips away <laughs> on yeah. like a magical trail of fairy dust. Like, yeah, it's <laughs> it's pretty broadcasted. Um, but I thought it was. I'm going to say interesting because I don't want it to sound like I'm endorsing it, but how, like the way he talks about his own gayness and that he's like, I am a homosexual, yes. but I'm not an F-slur yes. because I'm a pitcher, not a catcher. Right. <laughs> like I'm the giver, not the receiver. Yes. Yes. And I was just like, that's an interesting form of rationalization that you're doing right there right like there's hierarchies of depravity when it comes to like homosexual behavior which is definitely true to life even even to today like that's that's definitely a thing that people will say oh you know i'm 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 straight actually but sometimes i like to give it to men you know what i mean like uh just a second you're not actually straight (laughs) that's not what straight means right yeah so okay so i mean like that was that was new to me (laughs) like this kind of like homophobia in the queer community oh, yeah. is it's jarring but i mean like it's also it like it so much of this movie is about like no there's no easy answers to this like there's no there's no right way yeah i i know i know how easy it is to sit back and like tweet about how like this movie did this wrong this movie did that wrong and i think that there's just by and large like a real loss of appreciation for nuance when people are like showing how muddy things get in between like, yeah, somebody who's got mental health issues can act in ways that, like, are funny to somebody who isn't having those issues or maybe right. even to the person themselves. Yeah. But And you can also have, like, a darker side to it that causes some real problems. And it doesn't have to be one or the other or... Well, and also that's not a reflection on the movie. The character's choices is not what the movie is trying to yeah. to get across, right? Um, yeah, so, like, the fact that... that Ron says that about himself and about being gay generally is not as if it's the filmmaker who snuck that in there being like there are some gay people and then there are some F slurs you know what I mean like that's yeah. the that's definitely what he would have 
believed of himself whether yeah. and and i'm not saying i know that he's based on a real person right and that he could have disavowed this or whatever but as a character in the movie ron cray would have said that right because of who he is because of his you know his lust for power in his own way which is very different than reggie's lust for power it have very different goals in mind mm-hmm. which is what drives them apart yeah that fight between the two of them was was really fucking cool. Yeah, and it goes on for a long time. Yeah. Extremely good uh, choreography, and, and it's such like an emotional roller coaster ride yeah. where you just like you don't want to see them fight, but you want to see who'd win. Yeah, and you and you want them to stop, but then they, you know, and every every so often they they kind of seem like they're calming down, and then they spurt back and up. And somebody reescalates it, and I mean, like, yeah. fuck, I remember fights with my brother. I was just gonna say it's a really good example of fights with siblings. I think. Yeah, you can see certain times in that fight where they kind of amp it up where they're like, okay, now I'm really fighting. And yeah. then like, oh no, wait, maybe I shouldn't actually, oh no, no, yeah. no, now you've pissed me off and I'm really fighting. Yeah. yeah. And then um, it gets to the point that like, we're in the audiences, like the, the people who are actually in the bar where we're like kind of in their headspace. So like when they, when they've had enough and they're like, okay, this has gotten uncomfortable yes. now. That's when we're like, okay, yeah, we want to see it stop too. That's a really good point. Yeah. And when uh, Frankie like leaves. Right. That, that's really the cue that like this has gone on too far and it's really uncomfortable for everybody. Yeah, definitely. This is not just a barroom brawl. So I was going to point out too that there's a character in this movie who is in Peaky Blinders as well. And Tom Hardy's actually in Peaky Blinders. I, I don't know if I mentioned that, but he's in, I think, the second se- season. Um, is that Albie? Yeah. He's in Peaky Blinders? Yeah. Yeah, Albie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Albie plays... And so Peaky Blinders is also based off of a real mobster family, a real gangster family from, you know, 50 years before the craze and the guy who albie plays is one of the brothers of the P- the peaky blinders brothers and he is a very similar character to ron cray in that he has mental health issues beyond what the others have he's an alcoholic beyond what the others have do you know what i mean like it's so it's interesting seeing this guy interact as kind of more of like a, the steady <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly yeah and being and and in more of a crony position what did you think of like the gang overall because they're in charge, but you don't really get as much of a sense of like the way that the gang works, I think, in other movies that are I would call gangster movies. Yeah, I mean, I, their whole dynamic was incredibly interesting because there's no question that like Reggie was in charge. Right. But like in title, so was Ron. Yeah. Because of the Cray brand or what have you. But in terms of like practical decisions, Payne, played by Professor Lupin, right. was really the number two guy right except then when reggie goes to jail then they kind of are forced to respect the honorary position of ron actually being in charge of pain right despite not being in any way fit to to run the operation definitely not like that's something that ron has to be aware of like he's not he's not out of it completely yeah yeah um he's not stupid yeah, he's not stupid. And I mean, like his, I mean, he's diagnosed in with like 1960s schizophrenia. So mm-hmm. I don't know what that actually equates to in like a 2017 diagnosis. So I don't want to go too far down that path. Yeah. But yeah, he's aware of what's going on. Like he's kind of got that sort of like, um, not a muse, like a chorus sort of thing where he's like the madman who like stands back and can actually like see wh- how everything is actually going on because he's not really involved in any of it. Right. Like he can provide really astute commentary on Reggie and Francis's relationship. But then, yeah, when it comes time for him to like 
get into the dirt and make practical decisions he can't like he's he can't make effective decisions and when he tries to put on the showy role of like filling the reggie spot he ends up doing that really uncomfortable bit where he like takes over the stage and he like that was brutal insults the audience and just like yeah Yeah, completely ruins the yeah just like ruins the day for everybody and and like kills the legitimate part of their business right exactly which is what reggie's counting on right it's so reggie has the the long you know he can see he can see far into the future and ron is just like living for right now and just does not does not care about what's going to happen to him in the future so that murder that he does at the party right it's a new year's party right you're talking about Reggie's murder, or are you talking about the the one that Ron does that gets them into trouble? Because Ron kills the guy at the bar, which gets them into trouble, and then Reggie takes it out on Hat. Right. Yeah. No. No. That's that's a good murder as well. <laughs> There's a lot of good murders. No, but sorry, I was talking about Reggie when Reggie uh, at the it's a New Year's party, I think, right? When he kills the Hat guy. When he kills him with the the lemon knife. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's what my letterboxed review is for this movie. <laughs> just lemon knife just lemon <laughs> um i love your letterbox reviews thanks me too i put a lot of i it doesn't seem like i do but i put a lot of thought into those, <laughs> in those to pick exactly which These very minimalist reviews yeah um but i was gonna say too that the one of the things that i really loved about this movie is just how it looks it's just so incredibly perfectly 60s the you know the hair is amazing the suits are amazing the decor is amazing. Just the streets of London. Yeah. And how, it, like, they really did a good fucking job in this movie to make it look stylized, for sure. Yeah. But but gritty as well. Yeah. In this way that really grosses me out about <laughs> London. Like, my, my interpretation of London, I've been to London a few times, and I really like it. It's one of my favorite cities. But whenever I watch one of these movies, whether it takes place in 1960, whether it takes place, I mean, Peaky Blinders is in North London, or sorry, North uh, England, but you know these this type of English idea that everyone has versus what these gangster movies, these English gangster movies shows you show you about England is always jarring to me because it's not at all what I think of when I think of jolly old right. England type of thing. And I really really liked it in this movie because of how just how beautiful, how meticulous they were about recreating this perfect idea of 1960s. I'm not saying that it was necessarily you know exactly how it was i think for sure it's over the top in being yeah. you know stylized and everything but i think that that really adds to it because the whole point to this movie is that it's a legend right yeah i mean the fact that if i mean he obviously wasn't responding to the movie because he was long dead but the fact that ron has you know got back gone back and retconned someone saying that he talked about being gay a bunch or something like that that's not the point i don't care that this is based on a true story yeah other than the fact that you know, clearly there's shit going on in the streets of London that I'm not aware of being a, an idiot tourist. But this movie is a legend and the, the it's talking about a legend. And so I love that it's done in like a modern legend way. All yeah. of the everything is overly perfect. Everything is overly stylized and beautiful. The the drain pipe can support human weight. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that I mean, that is just such a perfect example of this fairy tale type of, yeah. you know, when the hero decides to do something like this. And even the second half of the movie, so I've been talking about how the first half of the movie is really, you know, fun and exciting. And then the second half is when everything starts to go to shit, which is often the case with these types of movies. And almost almost as if these filmmakers have to specifically tell you, 
you know, there are consequences to these actions. Right. You know, you know how like how children's shows have to show they always have to show consequences to actions. Yeah. So that's you know what like oh well if you're having too much fun, remember yeah. the first half is exciting and fun and everything, and then the second half shows us all these real world consequences of this legend. Which I mean, I totally get what you're saying where there there's a case to be made about it saying that suicide was the answer here and that for someone who is suicidal that could be a terrible thing to be hearing 100% on board I think the second half of the movie shows a lot of things that went wrong right that calls into question the idea of the legendary aspect of the craze you know the fact that in England, when you talk about the craze, obviously, you know, it was referred to on Big Fat Quiz of the Year and all this other stuff. Um, people know who they're talking about. So it would be similar to talking about probably The Godfather or something, but in like a real world setting, I guess. So the second half of the movie being much more somber and much more sober is true to life, I guess. Sure. But part of it really let me down in that... I was really looking forward to the type of movie that doesn't have to deal with that kind of real world consequence. And this goes back to my whole fantasy about having a movie that finally has where the mobster marries a woman who is 100% on board and they both become these amazing, you know, which I assume is kind of like a Bonnie and Clyde story. I don't actually know anything about the Bonnie and Clyde story. Um, but, you know, that kind of that kind of level of we're going to go out fighting. And because, as you said... Reggie did not learn a lesson. There's no lesson learned at the end of this movie for Reggie. So it's all been for nothing, right? Like, there's no reason to have this great downfall if he's not going to have a peripatea at the end where he decides, oh, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have been such a complete schmuck. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so it's just uh, that the ending, the ending of the movie left me sad in a way that is obvious because of the, the subject matter is sad. But it also left me sad that when you're dealing with real world incidents you can't just rewrite what happened you know sure. like they can't just they can't just they can't just reconcile way before the car even gift of the car even happens you right. know what i mean like yeah. none of that can none of that can actually happen if it's a real world story and i mean where do you go from there then now the craze run england or something right right like, yeah i mean like this wasn't gonna inglorious bastards it right where oh yeah I, well thank you okay you've completely yes all right <laughs> so i hate inglorious bastards for many reasons but what, despite having never seen it, yeah, I have seen it. You have seen it now. I've seen. I've I saw it in theaters. Oh, it's Django Unchained. You haven't seen. Pardon sorry, me. Yes. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I saw it in theaters. I had to leave during the, the first like forty minutes of the, that incredibly tense scene with them underneath the floorboards. Oh God! I was freaking like I was freaking out. I had to. <laughs> I had to leave, and I was standing at the door waiting for it to end because I knew that whatever happened, I was going to jump and I didn't right. want to be that person. It was a packed theater <laughs> and I was at the front and I didn't want to be that person who was like, ah! <laughs> yeah. it was, it was bad. And then I came back and sat down. Um, no, but you, okay. Thank you for pointing out exactly what you wished it was, <laughs> what I wish I, it was. But now that you've said it, I realized why it couldn't be that because that, that that's, I mean, and, and Inglourious Bastards for, for all its flaws definitely doesn't try to be more than it is it's it's supposed to be like a no i'm this is a compliment now yeah, this no, is me like complimenting it. um that it, you know it's supposed to be a a, a superhero movie basically yeah. right like where it's where it's completely rewriting history to be almost the best case scenario although the all the jews had to die anyway but that's my big beef with it but 
you're right. If if they had rewritten this story to make it so that the craze somehow came up on top, which is what I'm interested to see how Peaky Blinders keeps going, because it just how much how much lower can these people get? Like, there's you know, there's a certain there's a certain point there where the gangster movie has to end in our antihero having the worst possible outcome, right. right? And I guess there's no way around that. And and that's what's interesting about who we root for in the gangster movie, right? Like, there are things about the craze that I make me root for them, and there, then there are things that make me hate them and make me want to see them get taken down. But it's still an unsatisfying ending. And it's unsatisfying... Mm, unsatisfying is maybe too strong, but it's unsatisfying in all gangster movies, I would say, yeah. <laughs> where, you know, you know what's going to happen. You know that these people are going to have to get their comeuppance, yeah. um, but you've been rooting for them all along. Yeah, I mean, you've been rooting for them, but, I mean, you're not rooting for anybody once you get to the second half, right? Like, you're not... Are you not, are you not hoping that like, I'm Reggie not, will have a change of heart? I'm not rooting for Reggie once he assaults his wife no of course like not. that's a that's a huge yes. just like no no we're done yeah um no you, that's and i was so unbelievably worried that she was going to take him back when he goes back to her and then with ron i'm just like i'm hoping for better for him right. but i know that he's also he's so devoted to this life yeah that it's just not well, ron doesn't care if he lives or dies right like ron is just completely it does not matter to him. Yeah. He has no future. He does not care about the future. He cares only about right now. For the, for the first little bit, I'm rooting to just, I'm rooting for the movie. I'm rooting yeah. to be entertained. Right. I'm rooting for Tom Hardy, really, yeah. if I'm being honest. Yeah. And then once we get past that, it's like, okay, well, let's, let's, let's watch and see what happens. Yeah. And I mean, you don't spend a whole lot of time watching their lives collapse too right. much. I mean, I guess you do. But, I mean, the fact that it's mostly, like, their punishment is summed up to a title card where it just says, so-and-so spent X many years in prison, so-and-so spent X many years in prison. Like, you're not spending too much time in the... Yeah, for sure. In in the real-life consequences. You're talking about, like, the the falling action. Like, you're talking about what would happen afterwards, after the climax. But I guess, I mean, you do see them kind of come to a head and, you know, Reggie have to... Reggie killing a hat guy because he can't kill Ron. Right. It was all that going on as well. So there's two things, basically, and especially because it's told from her perspective. Like, I'm not sorry. It's not told from her perspective, but one can intuit that we are seeing things colored through her lens. But because she is the narrator, the the way that we feel as viewers watching this movie reflects how she feels, you know, falling in love with Reggie, right? Like, everything is wonderful, and then everything is real. And once it's real... It's it's not wonderful anymore, um, and you know she was mistaken in in what in how she trusted him. No one can blame her for that. I certainly can't. Anyway, one thing that I didn't like about this movie, especially because it's from her perspective, you should be careful about what I mean by that. But especially because she's the narrator, so one can assume that there is a certain amount of perspective from her. Is when she starts taking Mother's Little Helper, you know those pills that she starts taking, right? That Reggie starts blaming for all of their issues right um and that sucks i mean that sucks on many different levels i do know specifically that that's actually like a you know a thing that was happening in the 60s that's why i referred to it as mother's little helper that's literally a song that was written about it by the rolling stones 
Um, and I don't know whether specifically if it's, uh, you know, uh, an antidepressant or something like that. I can't remember if it says it specifically in the movie. I don't think it does. Um, but that's what she eventually uses to kill herself, right? She, I mean, she takes a whole lot of different pills yeah. to kill herself. But um, when Reggie starts blaming their problems on what, is, what she's using to cope with. Yeah, what she's self-medicating with. Yeah. yeah. That was that was the t- kind of the time when I was like, oh, you know, he's not this debonair type of I would do anything th- anything for my girl guy that we have been sold, which is exactly the relation that or the realization that she's coming to in yeah. that exact moment. Yeah, it was the um... which is sorry if I can just yeah. go on talking about how handsome Tom Hardy is. <laughs> <laughs> Please do. Because the first half of the movie, Reggie is extremely handsome. And he's made to look just in the way that he's dressing and the way that he's doing his hair, the way that he and we talked about this mannerism that Tom Hardy has that, like you said, in photos, he might not come across as necessarily certain a certain way. But his mannerism makes it so that he's 100 times more attractive when he's moving. And there is a switch in the way that Reggie carries himself. In the first part of the movie, Reggie is carrying himself in a way that is meant to attract Frankie. And in the second part of the movie, Reggie is carrying himself in the same way that he would carry himself around people that he's trying to intimidate and that he doesn't actually, you know, care about on a certain, like right. on, on any actual uh, meaningful level. And he he changes. He, he looks different. He's not, he's still obviously more handsome than Ron because Ron is made to look not as handsome as Reggie, but he's, he changes and he's not as, he's not as beautiful as he was in the first half of the movie, yeah. which also reflects his you know the relationship that he's having that he has with frankie at that point yeah there's a kind of a transitional scene between the two phases of their relationship i mean it's not two phases it's definitely you know a a gradual right realization and change and 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 all that but the car scene where he gifts her the car and then he tells her that sorry i can't actually take today your birthday (laughs) to teach you how to use it and it was just the fact that and this is definitely to emily browning's credit for for nailing especially this part of the performance but i mean all of it as well is uh how you really get the feeling in that moment that she's waiting every day to find out if today is the day that she's been looking forward to right oh definitely for sure and that's what it's like that's what it's like in an abusive relationship for sure yeah just like all she has is the hope that tomorrow will be better and that she it's spends, gonna go back to how it was when I remembered. Yeah, and she good. and she's gonna spend every morning, afternoon, night waiting to see if there's gonna be any of that left. And then right. as soon as there isn't, then she's getting into self medicating mode just to get through till the next day. Yeah, and you get all of that in that one moment. Just that like that look in her eye as she's as she finds out that she's not gonna spend her birthday with her husband. Yeah, she's excellent. So good. And th- and so that's what I mean. Where I I would love to. Obviously, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying anything against Frankie. That's what Frankie was promised is she was promised that he would not be living the same life. He would go clean and be the dutiful husband. My problem is that all of these women make this mistake thinking that that's true. If he's if he's literally bred to do that, you know what I mean? Like this is like he's he's from from childhood. He's he's like this. He's not going to change and especially not going to change now that he's an adult and he's successful at it. Um, but yeah, it would just, I just think it would be so fun to see a story where instead of 
hoping that he was going to change, the woman decided to go full hog and, and be like, she ends up being better at it. Right. That would be great. Yes. You need just you need to write this story. And Tom Hardy would be a great person for that too, because he is good at playing second banana to a woman. Yeah. Which I really admire about him. Yeah. Let's do it. Okay. Legend Dear two. Tom. Legend two. <laughs> Not about the craze. <laughs> about something that Caroline made up. <laughs> Legend right two, now. that shit cray. <laughs> That's good. I like it. <laughs> you had two very different reactions. You're like, I know I need to dismiss this, but I like it. <laughs> No, that was my, both of those were legitimate reactions to it. <laughs> my heartfelt reactions to it. Oh, um, yeah, just one moment that I want to call out, just because you talked about how great this movie looks. Um, there's a Twitter account that I follow, and it's called One Perfect Shot, I think is what it's called. And the idea is that they just, like, they celebrate, like, a perfect shot in a yes. movie. And I've never watched a movie and thought, that's the perfect shot. No, because you're not a complete wanker, but yeah. <laughs> but... Watching this when Reggie is, I can't remember if he's walking to the party or away from the party, but at one point he walks under a bridge Mm. and there's this like jazz saxophone playing in the background. I was like, (laughs) oh, yeah, like this is the kind of thing. This is the kind of snapshot that can only happen in a movie having the picture and the sound at the same time. And just like, you know, like you called out that this isn't necessarily the 60s, but this is. This, no, is this is a how... portrait of yeah. the mythical 60s exactly. and you've done such a perfect job of it which i mean I, I think is like the one of the coolest things and also one of the most dangerous to memory things that movies can do just because movies are so influential in how people imagine things that oh, we end sure. up adopting movie myth as reality yeah. when we think about it it's but... nostalgia yeah yeah um but yeah that was that was like a perfect shot moment that I just think is like, it's so beautiful to look at. And oddly enough, it's one of the shots that you can't even see Tom Hardy's perfect face. Mm, amazing. Yeah. But you know, it's there. And so <laughs> you're aware of it. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, it's so fresh in your face and you just, you have the lasting impact of it being fresh in your face. Of the last two hours of the movie. Okay. So let's wrap this up the same way that we always do. So two very simple questions may not get simple answers, but I think in this movie they do. Uh, Does this movie get a thumbs up or a thumbs down in your Netflix profile? Thumbs up. And who's your MVP from the movie? Oh, I wonder. It's Tom Hardy. He plays two roles. He (laughs) plays two of them. He plays two of the guys. (laughs) And often he has to talk to himself. (laughs) Yeah, he plays both roles in with aplomb and he makes each one completely unique. And I just love how he talks. He's got that voice. You know what I mean? That voice that you're kind of like, really? Is that how you talk? But then then, <laughs> then he keeps going and you're like, holy shit. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. wow. Good for you. Yeah. I, then, I gave them nicknames until I had their names figured out. And yeah. even though I've never seen it, I called them Peaky Blinders and Cockney Bane. Yes. That's that good. Was, that yeah. was my names for them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, definitely Cockney Bane. Yeah. Not so much Peaky Blinders because the Peaky Blinders, I, when I talk to my students in front, uh, anytime I'm teaching English as a second language, um, I bring up Peaky Blinders because I have to put Peaky Blinders subtitles on when I watch it. Because right. the I was so is... glad to have the subtitles on when he was like talking to the cops and everything. I was like, the fuck are you saying? Right. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So the, yeah, no, that's a, a very good Cockney Bane is a good descriptor, but yeah, for sure. No, Tom Hardy, 100%. And like you said, Emily Browning is fantastic. Um, you know, Emily Browning, Francis's mother is fantastic. Uh, everybody's just really, really great in this movie. I think it was really nicely cast yeah it just 
it's not i'm not trying to say that this is you know it's not comparable to some of the movies that i've been on here to talk about that i've thought are just fantastic pieces of cinema but when i and when i mean cinema i mean cinema i mean cinnamon when i mean cinnamon buns um i'm talking about you know like standalone things that uh like practical magic for instance. right exactly like practical <laughs> magic is the perfect example yeah but it's just it's just a really it's an entertaining movie as long as you're going into it knowing if 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 trigger warnings are something you need as long as you go in knowing that um this is a heavy trigger warning for suicide heavy trigger warning for rape that we didn't really talk about but that's okay for more on that check out <laughs> our episode on not how to train your dragon the girl with the dragon tattoo goodness me yes not how to train your dragon I love that movie. That's a great movie. But yeah, as long as you go in, you know, if if, if those types of safety concerns uh, are important to you, go in knowing that. Um, and if you are at all interested in kind of stylistic violence, which is a big thing for me, um, <laughs> you always laugh when I say that, but I'm being completely serious and I don't think it's a funny matter, Dylan. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, and there are two things that matter to you, and that's real violence towards Nazis and stylistic violence in movies. And that's... if you can blend the two together, then and not being and not being glorious past, damn, maybe you should watch that movie again. <laughs> I just they all the Jews die anyway, and I really hated how the the best actor actress in Germany literally could not act to save her life, according yeah. to Quentin Tarantino, who put her foot in a cast so that he could see it bare. I hate him anyway. Um, and then choked her to death with his with his own hands. hands. His actual. Uh, <laughs> God, he's a horrible person. Quentin Tarantino, I will fight you. For more on that, see our Pulp Fiction episode. That's right. Anyway, uh, yeah. So yeah, so yeah. It's not. It's. I'm not. I'm not trying to sell it as like a deep movie or anything. I am trying to sell it as a fun crime movie that is beautiful to watch for many reasons. Um. Uh. Yeah. That gets like super serious at the end. Yeah. I. I'm gonna thumbs up it. I mean, I think I gave it. Four four stars on my letterboxd yeah. because I, I gave it three and a half and so that's why i'm saying that i would change it now because i watched it a year ago and i gave it three and a half and now I, i'd probably give it four now yeah i mean like the entertainment is so fucking entertaining yes like not just the fighting but like the dialogue and everything but then it also like it it changes the way you think about like it, it changes it changes and becomes more serious in a way that could undercut the fun that you've been having but also lets you preserve it as long as you struggle with it at the same time okay that's a good way of putting it i don't think it undercuts so much as like asks you why do you think this is entertaining and asks you should you be thinking this is entertaining and remember that this is real you know these are real life consequences because and that's exactly why those types of things exist where if we just glorify violence a whole bunch and think that it's really fun and great um, you know, it can lead to real world consequences when people are complete idiots. So, right. Yeah. That's um, a good way of putting it. Yeah. So I'm also going to say thumbs up. I'm also going to give my MVP to Tom Hardy. I don't think I'm going to be able to add anything that you haven't said already. Can't you just like comment on how handsome he is again though? I could. Um, I want to give honorary mention to, uh, Tara Fitzgerald who played, uh, Frankie and Frank's mom. Mm because just everything she did was amazing. Yeah. Like to the point that Reggie Cray, the most like feared man in all of the East End, was scared of this woman and like climbed up a drain pipe so he didn't have to talk to her. Yeah. And like almost made Ron angry to the point of like assaulting a woman in a wedding. Like she was just so 
fierce in her uh, in her like protest of what was happening and like wore black to her own daughter's wedding to just be like, no, fuck these guys. This can't happen. And yeah. is so brokenhearted when her daughter dies. And like she was so good. And Emily Browning was so good. But I mean, Tom Hardy has twice as many chances to be so good. Yeah. And even if like the during a fucking shootout was like a little bit overdone. Like that's like one moment where there's just like a little too much spittle coming out of his mouth. Oh, I like that though. Yeah, where he like allows himself to be so ugly that he's like Yeah, because I think spitting. that that's yeah. I think that that's really frothing. something that Ron would have done. Yeah, literally yeah. frothing at the mouth. Yeah. And which shows the the big, you know, the huge difference between yeah. the dichotomy between these two characters. They do like right away they do such a good job of showing them as different characters because i mean like and i mean it's little things like you know one has glasses the other one doesn't but even like the fact that one one's smoking a cigar the other one's smoking a cigarette they're holding them in different ways like they just do such a good job of making them such different characters and a lot of that is tom hardy but a lot of that is the direction and also the the special effects which went into being able to show them both on screen and whoever was doing the double work Mm -hmm. and like the direction of making sure that you didn't see both their faces at the same time um, which I believe is like a process that they really nailed down in Back to the Future Part 2, which was like the only really respectable thing about Back to the Future Part 2. So yeah, but yeah, Tom Hardy's my MVP. Thumbs up for this movie. Bam. Yay. Yay. We, we did a crime movie, finally. We, we did the crime. Yeah. Um, is there anything that you want to be like plugging in nope. the world? <laughs> no. I All right. Think so. Perfect. So if people want to find you, where can they find you? You can keep talking to me about uh, the craze, um, about this movie, about my letterbox tag that is nice and gay, which this movie got. Uh, I, I, I tag some <laughs> movies on letterbox okay. as nice and gay, and this movie got one of those nice. tags. Um, yeah, you can find me on uh, Twitter at Deezen and um, letterbox.com at Deezen. Perfect. Thank you so much for doing this and for coming back to the country, I assume, specifically to do this podcast? It was specifically to do this podcast. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. And you're going to take your microphone with you next time you go away? That's right. Gonna... And then we can do some Across the Pond podcasts. Yeah, we will. Podcasts? Oh, good. TM, TM, TM. <laughs> <laughs> All right. For our, I don't know, Patreon exclusive content where we do the Nick Cage movies. I don't know what we're going to do, but yeah. we got to do it. Good. All right. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for doing this. It's been so great to catch up. Thank you for having me, Dylan. Yay. Yay. That's it. That's everything for this episode of the Netflix podcast. If you liked what you heard today, head on over to netflix.ca to check out the rest of the stuff we do, like show notes, articles, and reviews. If you want to follow what we're doing, you can check us out on all sorts of social media platforms, like Facebook, where you can find us as Netflix, on Twitter, where we are at NetflixPod. You can also find me there, at Dylan Clark Moore. And we're on SoundCloud as Netflix Podcast. If you'd like to support the show, there are tons of ways you can do it. One of them is by going to however you found this, whether that was on Apple Podcasts or Google Play, and subscribing so that each episode comes straight to you. That also helps us go up into the charts so that other people can discover this magical nugget of podcasting goodness that you have stumbled upon. If you want to help bring other people's attention to it, you can also leave a positive review. If you want the show to get better, you can leave a critical one, and you can also rate us. Like iTunes, for instance, lets you do so out of five stars. You can also contribute directly to this whole Netflix experience by way of our Patreon campaign. Patreon allows you to donate as little as $1 a month to help keep creative projects afloat, and we have got one too. 
You can either search for Netflix on Patreon.com or you can hit the Support Netflix button at the top of our blog, which again is Netflix.ca. This podcast is produced and edited by yours truly, and the theme music was provided by Zach Moore. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of the Netflix podcast, and be sure to join me here next time for a whole new conversation about a whole new movie from the Netflix catalog. Because even if you think you've seen it all, you ain't streamed nothing yet. <laughs>